What are the long box guys going to do tonight, Brain? The same thing the long box guys do every night, Pinky. Drink and talk about comics. They're useless to taking over the world. Yes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Long Box Guys. With me are some of my very best friends since I was a very little kid. And a new best friend who's going to be my super best friend forever and ever and ever. And he's not going to get sick of me at all. Mark Russell. How are you, Mark? Hey, doing good. Doing good. Happy to be here. You're not just doing good, my friend. You are doing well because you do both. Uh, Mark Russell, for those of you not in the know, is a prolific writer. He wrote one of my favorites of all time, The Flintstones. Um, and uh, that, I mean, I'm a social justice guy when it comes to comic books, and you are one of the best out there making good social commentary without hitting us in the teeth with it. Except when robots <laughs> well, thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, also, I feel like right, Josh Hopper. Right, what's bothering you most? I don't know. <laughs> uh, also, with this, Josh Hopper. Josh, how you doing? And what are you drinking? Uh, I, of course, have grabbed uh, the fall beers just keep coming earlier and earlier, and I do not argue with the creep. I'm just trying a pumpkin pie scraper by Night Shift Brewing. Pumpkin pie scraper. That sounds like a porno. Jack's bread has gone bad. Now he can eat fat also. Pumpkin it does remind scraper. me of a porno because it's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You'll finish it. <laughs> Who's, but you don't want to. Who finishes pornos? Yeah. I do. I, I tend to be, Who's got that I kind of time? End credits in case they marvel that shit. In case it's like that weird callback. For the exciting moments. <laughs> I was watching Anal Angels 7. I saw the fourth trailer at the very end. And it just, you know, uh, 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 William H. Macy going like this. Hey. <laughs> Mike, how you doing? What are you drinking? <laughs> I am doing fine, uh, unlike apparently William H. Macy. I am drinking a strawberry cider from Tennessee Cider Company. I love me a nice cider. Tommy, how you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing okay. I am drinking some Grangestone 14-year scotch. Uh, it is delicious. It is the sherry cask finish. Delicious. Uh, Mark, do you, uh, besides Famous Grouse, someone told me you like Famous Grouse. Uh, are you drinking anything tonight? Uh, today I am drinking some pina colada flavored uh, rogue energy drink. So cheers. Salute. Well, we like pina colada and we also like uh, dancing in the rain. That's true. <laughs> Getting caught in the rain. You're Getting in... caught in the rain. Damn it. Yeah. Name that. Name that song, Josh. <laughs> Come uh... on, name the song. Uh, it's uh, LT. Shut up. We'll take two answers for it because it's got two titles. No, no, no. Well, one's in parentheses. One's in parentheses. Uh, sure. Mark, do you know? Come on, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, oh. You want me to answer? Or you want, you want I mean, yeah, it. I'm not going to get it. I don't get it. It's the, the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. That is not the name of the song. The name is Escape. It's called Escape, the Pina oh. Colada song. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Words matter, Mark. But he knows that Rupert Holmes did it. So that, Actually, yeah. wait, I, mean, I, I couldn't have pulled Rupert Holmes out of my ass if I was standing and I had a fistful of, of KY in my hand. That is very excellent. Good job. True. I, could anyone have pulled that name out? I don't even know if it's no. right. I don't even care. He's right. I'm a, I'm a huge Rupert Holmes fan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like Holmesian. this. Oh, who is it? 
Yeah. Well, I, I like to think of him as the Walton Goggins of the music industry. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's reasonable. That's, that's pretty reasonable. high praise. Yeah. It is a cornerstone of Yacht Rock. That's true. That's true. All right, so uh, we have our special guest, Mark Russell, who is, like we said, one of our favorite writers. He's done a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Mike, how are we going to uh, frame uh, this? Do you want to just talk about comic books in general that we love of his? Or should we just take turns uh, telling me how much we love him? I think we should introduce LT. Fuck LT. I was trying so hard. LT, how you doing? What are you drinking, buddy? <laughs> we already introduced me. I'm drinking yeah. some Grangestone 14 year scotch. scotch. Yeah, really? Mike, god damn it. Yeah. You're trying to make me look bad here. <laughs> you, didn't re- you didn't remember <laughs> that you introduced him in my defense. And to be fair. To be fair. It's Tom to be fair. Uh, I have a delicious uh, Fanta Zero. And a, a big tumbler full of scotch. Uh, and they taste great together for some dumbass reason. I don't know why. I, I would Fanta. like I would like to hear uh, from Mark about first winning the Eisner Award. Uh, Huge. So congratulations on that, sir. Can you tell us what it was like to – this is, what, your second or third time being nominated? Uh, it's my seventh nomination. Holy shit. Uh, so I, it was more a sense of relief than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you're the, the you know, were the Susan the, Lucci of the Eisners. Eisners. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Susan Lucci of the Eisners is perfect. <laughs> you know, and I, uh, somebody made the point that, like, well, Su- na- try to name another soap opera actor other than Susan Lucci. <laughs> and good point. But I don't think it works the same with comics. No one remembers, you know, who lost. I don't even think they remember who won. I don't really think <laughs> it matters, but I'm happy to have gotten one anyway. One in the wood category can't go wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, where, where was the? Uh, where, where did you get it? Did, was this? I mean, we're in the age of COVID. It would be sad if there wasn't a big to do. But uh, did you actually go someplace? Was there a big uh, ceremony? Oh yeah. No, this is like um, they had the um, the normal ceremony at uh, the uh, San Diego Comic Con. So I was at the ceremony, uh, had the free chicken dinner, and got the award. The whole the whole business. Wow, that's great. It's great to be acknowledged by all your peers at one of the biggest comic book uh, spots in the world. I mean, everyone there knows who you are, of course, uh, and everyone knows how important that is. So that's a big, big deal. But, I mean, we're all dying to know, how was the chicken? Oh, it was, you know, um, it was exquisite once I won the award. Uh, (laughs) So much better now. I don't know know, what it is. I I have to say, you know, for a catered dinner, it's not that bad. So for the who's at home, uh, it was uh, not all robots, uh, and it was best humor publication, correct? That's right. So not all robots is your 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 not your latest thing I've read because no, Space Age, right? Yeah, that's probably now like dropped down to like you know second or third latest thing. But um, I'm super proud of not all robots, and we're doing a second uh, season of it. So really happy uh, that it's been received like this, but yeah, now I'm uh, you know it's sort of like the nature of comics. It's like you're always on to the next thing, and the next thing for me now is uh, Superman Space Age, which I'm doing with artist Mike Allred and uh, colorist Laura Allred, and volume one of that, or I should say, you know, issue one, even though it's like 80 pages long, uh, it just came out uh, two weeks ago, and uh, the, um, the the second book comes out uh, I think another two weeks but it's um, 
it's issue one is about you know set about Superman in the 1960s, and issue two is in the 70s. Issue three, which is the final one, is in the 80s, and uh, it all sort of ties in, runs up to uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, Mike, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm Eight? I'm 50. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say Mike. I said Mark. I know how old you are, Mike. <laughs> because I, I think I'm older. I think I'm quite a bit older than you. I'm Not 55. Quite, we're all around the same age. All right, yeah, I'm, I think we're probably all about the same age. I'm, I'm 55. 55. All right, so you're younger yeah, than we me. We all grew up together. Yeah. We all had the similar. You just, you you know, just don't remember Mark hanging friends. out with us. Nah. <laughs> um, my, my I'm sure we all is, watched the Super Friends. It, we did. It's probably yeah. a, our common frame of reference. <laughs> My point is your grasp of that nostalgic style and time and uh, just the look of it is incredible to me. Like, I feel like I'm back there sometimes when I'm reading, like, when I was reading the Flintstones, there was, like, some things in the background, a couple things you were doing that I'm like, holy shit, I'm like, I'm there again. Even though it's an updated version, I'm there again. And Superman Space Age, I really felt that a couple of times, like, I was sitting in front of the TV as a kid, you know, watching some of the news flashes that young Clark was feeling. So did you have to go back and look at a bunch of footage or is that all from memory? Well, no, I wasn't alive when all the stuff in the sixties happened. Uh, so yeah. sort of, you know, this is how pathetic I am. I have a certain amount of nostalgia for things I never experienced. Um, but you know, it's, it's sort of how I would have imagined being there and having these, you know, sort of like life changing moments and, you know, growing up, you know, uh, um, during the Cuban Missile Crisis and the you know the, the nuclear threat, the the Cold War heating up to the point where you weren't sure if you were going to be alive to go to work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know when I was in school or elementary school, there were still posters up for how to hide under your desk, but they never actually made us hide under the desk. <laughs> you know, huh? it was, we were sort of on that teetering edge. You guys might have had to hide a couple of times, huh? We we did we did the duck and cover. Yeah, they had the, the – every once in a while you'd still catch a poster that – I mean, we went to a very – we are both all from small towns here. And I just believe they were posters that just never came down. I don't even know what year they were printed. But, yeah, we never, no one ever sort of made me hide under a desk. But I we got the sense of it because, you know, there was a turtle trying to survive a nuclear explosion hiding behind a desk, which I thought, you know, completely irrational. When I was 12, there was an article in our local newspaper about the likelihood that the Soviet Union had a nuclear uh, missile pointed at, at our hometown. And I remember reading it with, and like feeling kind of a weird sense of pride. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, finally some some recognition. So what what's the what was the hometown? I grew up in Eugene, Oregon. Okay, and what was the rationale that they thought? Russia they thought because it's a college town, there's a major hospital there, and it's also a, a uh, transportation hub for, for railway. So they okay. thought it would have been, you know, not like the first wave of cities the Soviets would knock out. But eventually, you know, if the war continued, uh, why not? We'll, we'll waste one on <laughs> Yeah, we were lucky enough to grow up near Westover Air Force Base, which housed most of the C-5A galaxies, the largest transports for the uh, Air Force. So we were definitely on target. We were uh, definitely and, getting and taken don't forget, one right uh, in the first 10 minutes of the war. Oh, yeah. and, and don't forget uh, the, the coast, uh, Connecticut, we had the big submarine base, too. So those two things pretty much yeah. had us in the crosshairs. And New York's not that far away. He'd probably be gone before you realized there was a war. <laughs> yeah, like, there's we a war? Yeah, Westover. Yeah, yeah. We, we would have yeah, definitely been in the fallout, so. 
Yeah, look at us bragging about our possible demises. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, We're calling you out, Russia. One of the strangest flexes I've ever done on this podcast. Oh, yeah. We were targeted by nuclear missiles. Absolutely. Me personally. I'm looking up at my nuclear weapons certificate. I went on into the military and became a nuclear weapons specialist, uh, Mark. And uh, I'm hoping that didn't actually influence me now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Probably did. Didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. But, you know, it's like... My generation, your generation, we grew up, we didn't have like, you know, we didn't, we weren't old enough to go to Vietnam or to uh, take part in the 60s counterculture or the Korean War or World War II. So for us, it's like our generation, the big things in our generation were really like kind of more pop culture related, you know, the big sort of cataclysmic events. And I think one of the things that sort of affected me the most or, you know, in my, in my, in my childhood was uh, watching the TV movie the day after. Yeah, you know, it sort of like that was pretty big. Yeah, left a big impression on me. I feel like in a lot of ways, it's kind of what I, when I remember back to my Cold War paranoia, that's sort of what I go back to. For me, it was more about V, aliens okay. coming down. I was, <laughs> I was really way more worried about Donovan and Diana escaping the lizard people than actual nuclear annihilation. That's fair, but I wasn't very bright. Thank you, baby. Baxter just coming through here? Okay. <laughs> just a teeny bit. A little bit in the background? He's gone. Uh, yeah. Mike and I were both in the military for a while, uh, and uh, we both had very I, – I, I don't want to speak for, for Mike's uh, time in the military, but I was a nuclear weapon specialist, so my Desert Shield and Desert Storm time was very, very easy. Uh, I always like to say that I was the most well-protected guy in the military because no one wants your nuclear guy captured. Uh, but I understand what you're saying. Pop culture was more – of the, the the genesis of my my thinking than it was uh, my time in the military or you know stuff like that. So, but I mean, when I was you know in the early '80s, there were wars going on all over the place. Just that they didn't you know the 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 the, the ten minutes they devote to them on the nightly news wasn't nearly as real to me as like like a TV movie like the day after, and you know just seeing the, you know the effects of like radiation and how you don't even have to be fighting in the war to die from it you know really just sort of like you know it, 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 it's like I a lot of times when I try to write about things that happen in my lifetime I try to write about my feelings about them that's when I write about like sort of the Cold War you know, even in the context earlier than my own life like we see in Superman Space Age which happens in the 1960s when I wasn't alive I try to draw on those feelings like what I was what I felt like at the time I thought well I could die any day now from a nuclear that's- missile I think you really captured that well in your Fantastic Four uh, series that you did, Life Story. Um, I, I got I got the whole Cold War vibe uh, and that that space race that they were going through in the '60s from that. So I think you do a great job of capturing that vibe. I have a question though, because we all grew up in the same time. Did you play Dungeons and Dragons? Were you part of the Satanic Panic? Did you? No, I grew up in an evangelical church, so it was like sort of like they saw it as like rabies or uh, you know polio. It's like they they did everything in their power to eradicate it. So I never even really had the, advance, the opportunity to uh, to play Dungeons and Dragons. But it's the sort of thing too, like you know, whatever you know they 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 told me. Well, this is like this was a you know trick by Satan. My first response was, well, I got to know more. 
<laughs> well, I'm Would you like to know you. more? Yeah, tell me, uh, how do I get my hands on this trick by Satan? Uh, I would know, like I was, to subscribe to this OnlyFans page. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but I never, I just never had the opportunity. I didn't know anyone who played it. You know, I grew up sort of redneck, um, like on the outer fringes of what was already a fairly small city. So I didn't know anyone who played it. But it's the sort of thing. If I had, if I had been exposed to, it, I'm sure I would have loved it. Now, did that influence you? Uh, is that why you rewrote the Bible from your upbringing? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways it sort of rehabilitated my relationship with the Bible, which wasn't my intent when I started writing it. But I, uh, you know, I went through phases where it's like, oh, yeah, I just sort of accepted like everyone else that this is like the inerrant word of God and every word in it, every syllable is like, you know, the, the unquestionable truth. And then as I got older and I began to realize how, how in, implausible that was, I sort of just threw the whole thing out. Well, it's just like, you know, nonsense. It's just a, you know, a bunch of fairy tales. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, until later I realized when I was working on the book about the Bible that it's not really either. You know, it's like 66 different authors struggling with the question of what God wants from them. And they have different answers. And the answers, you know, that are, are all based through the, you know, the, the, the incomplete prism of somebody writing during the Bronze Age. So, of course, the answers are a little wonky. But, you know, it's the struggle that really sort of moved me about what's important about the Bible. And that's kind of what I tried to uh, to write about in my book about, you know, you, their, their answers are not always great, but it's sort of a profound struggle to think about, like, you know, the, the meaning behind your suffering in the world. I think you do an excellent job of that. Uh, one thing that I'll point out from once again, going back to not don't want to keep going back to the Flintstones. Uh, but as a veteran, uh, your take on Yabba Dabba Doo and, you know, his working through PTSD, that was very well handled for someone who's never been in the military. Did you talk to someone about that, or, or how did you come to that? Well, I have a number of uh, relatives who've been in the, the military, so I drew a, a lot on their experience. But also, you know, when I was doing the Flintstones, uh, the thing I wanted to do was to make it relevant to our world, to make it a critique of our civilization, so the thing about the water buffaloes didn't really fit in with that plan because, I mean, who belongs to, like, a, you know, the, the Shriners or the Rotary Club or, or anything, or any of those, like, sort of gentlemen's clubs that, that the water buffalo were supposed to be based on? So I thought, well, what would make it relevant for our time? And I said, well, you know, after the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, there's, you know, a lot of people have seen serious service. So I made it more, I made it about the water buffalo being, like, this veterans group, not like a, um, you know, a, a group of guys who get together to watch burlesque girls jump out of a cake, you know, once a month. Because uh, I felt that made it more relevant. And then, you know, when I initially turned in the first um, script, there wasn't any yabba dabba do in it at all. And one of the, you know, we, we, got, we got this, I got like this litany of notes from like the Hanna-Barbera people because they made the mistake of showing it to the Hanna-Barbera people <laughs> for their feedback. And, you know, a lot of them were like, you can't mention any deities. You can't do this. You can't, you can't do that. And then one of them was like, Fred has to say yabba dabba do at least once an issue. And I pretty much ignored all the other ones. But the one that sort of like made sense to me was Fred saying yabba dabba do because it was such a big part of the series. But I thought if I'm changing it to make it relevant, how, how would it fit into all the other changes I made? And that's when I came up with the idea that it would be this sort of nonsense mantra he, he used to sort of calm himself down when he was having sort of a panic attack. That well, being a... said, knowing what my dad does or did at the Rotary <laughs> Club really answers a lot right there. Just that one, just that one thing. 
fills me with a lot of relief, actually. Yeah. Well, well, as a veteran, let me say that you, you actually did hit it. That's a tricky one to do for someone who hasn't been in the military, and I, I think you nailed it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. And I quote you a lot at my job because I hire interns, and whenever they come to get interviewed by me, I I I tell them the, the I ask them why does Fred Flintstone wear a tie? And <laughs> I love that's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> that's right, you dress for the yeah, job that you want. Like, why would this guy wear a tie to work at a quarry? But yeah, that was sort of what what prompted that scene. Yeah, so because I get. 20-somethings who come in for interviews and they're, you know, it's a professional setting and they're not in a professional clothing. And it's like, why did you think I would hire you for this job if you came in jeans and a t-shirt? <laughs> but Well, and it's weird because it's sort of like changed where, you know, back then and, and until recently, the the tie was a signifier of like sort of managerial authority you are you're someone in power now the ceos all wear like fleeces and you know sort of like jeans and uh hoodies and so people see the 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 tie and the jacket is like is like somebody who works behind the desk at a hotel or you know somebody who has like a uh, like a service economy entry-level job they think of like the people in power as you're 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 wrecking mike's world no, that's fine. I, I, well, I'm just explaining this why people are doing that. Because to them, this doesn't signify uh, power or um, or prestige the way it used to. Now it signifies like, oh, you got a job at you know a Best Western. <laughs> I can well, only dream. I think that's the only time I wore a tie on yeah. the yeah. uh, So, can we talk about not all robots? I literally did a spit take at my kitchen table. It would have made Sid Caesar proud because the part where the uh, they're doing the robot talk show and they, they're like, aren't you blowing this whole thing out of proportion when after they're when they're discussing the, you know, the one robot killing everybody in Orlando? I was like, oh, my God, I know the exact show this would be on if this was in the real world. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, uh, I'm actually doing uh, the, the Comic-Con in Orlando next year. So I'm debating <laughs> whether I should take some not all It's all predicated upon the mass suffocation of Orlando. And then, like, the robots started defending it. Like, well, you know, these were no angels, you know, or, <laughs> Oh, my God, we should totally go to that con and just cosplay as robots. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, it's like you never know what's going to sell. Like sometimes, you know, if, if somebody's city gets destroyed in a in a comic, that's that's the one they want. Are, are you going to sell user unfriendly shirts? Oh, that's a great. I, where were you doing our marketing? That would be great. That would be a great promo. Maybe when we're doing the second season, we'll make user unfriendly shirts. Yeah, the, uh, the one scene with the 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 heart piece with that with the dialogue in there was I was like. I need that on a shirt, like now. <laughs> Absolutely. And we yeah. got a guy. We got a guy for that. Just so we you do know. Have True. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I'll talk to AWA. See if we can make a few uh, uh, user-unfriendly T-shirts. Damn right. Um, so, oh, go ahead, Tom. I, I was going to say uh, we, we we joked about it earlier that you probably can't tell us everything you're working on, uh, but you have said that you're working like on that. perfect. 
I would like that on a t-shirt. That's what I want to say. <laughs> uh, we were talking about it earlier, saying that you probably couldn't tell us because of non-disclosure stuff what you're working on now. But can you give us a little hint about what you're working on besides uh, Superman Space Age Two and 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 the in the third of that? I really want to hear yeah. about traveling to Mars. Oh yeah, D- uh, traveling to Mars was just announced, and it's. Uh, one of the most gratifying things I've ever written because it's, I think, much more personal to me. It's a creator-owned title. It doesn't, um, and it's not about superheroes or anything. It's about uh, there's a race to get to Mars um, to be the first person to land on Mars because they found incredible mineral wealth on Mars, and the first person to land on Mars gets to claim it for a company, and so the company that wins the, the race basically wins because they found a terminally ill man willing to go to Mars basically just claim the the, the the planet for them and then they don't have to worry about bringing him back uh, he's just okay with going there and dying there and so the whole story is told through sort of his his diary and all his regrets and things left undone from his life on earth and about what he is thinks is going to happen to him once he gets to Mars and um, and also, to a large degree, it's about how the Earth is dying, how human civilization is dying, because we never managed to move away from, like, a fossil fuel-based economy. So now we're, like, sort of a heroin addict scrambling for the last vial of heroin, which we found on Mars. Uh, so it, 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 it could be a little heavy, but, it, you know, I think it's also, um, at least I'm trying to be somewhat funny. It's got a lot of gallows humor. Uh, but it really is, I think, one of the most um, just sort of personally meaningful things I've ever had a chance to write. Awesome. Yeah, you do gallows humor really well. Like Billionaire Island when at the wake when everybody's like, sorry for your loss, and they're actually just looking at the stock ticker behind them. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's that brilliant. brilliant. Stuff. We're doing a, a second season of Billionaire Island, too. Oh, awesome. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we. Um, uh, I just turned in the last script, and Steve's about halfway through drawing it. So that should be like I think issue one drops in November, if I remember correctly. But it's so about I- the math of Billionaire Island, and now now uh, how everyone, all the billionaires in the billionaire economy was destroyed at the end of Billionaire Island, except for Business Dog. Business Dog made out like a bandit and is now worth trillions of dollars. <laughs> And so everyone's like scrambling, thinking, "Well, we we could we could save the the uh, American economy if we could just kidnap Business Dog." <laughs> so it's about like you know everyone trying to like find Business Dog to sort of save the world. Nice. So sort of jumping around here, but I'm winding back to uh, back to not all robots. One, uh, how was working with AWA because I wasn't really super familiar with them when I picked up the book, and how did you sort of connect up with them? And then where's where did the subject material for Not All Robots sort of bubble up from? Well, Not All Robots was weirdly kind of the one pitch uh, that nobody wanted. Like, I'd written this pitch, like, years ago. And, uh, you know, and when I spoke to publishers, you know, pretty much every publisher I normally work with, I mentioned that I had this idea for a, a, a comic book about robots um, as sort of a metaphor for, for toxic masculinity. And, you know, as soon as the word toxic masculinity comes out, they're like, uh... Uh, we'll pass, you know. So, but but strangely, like uh, you know, Axel Alonso, AWA called me and uh, was interested in just doing something with me. And he said, "We well, got anything?" So, I, well, I got this one pitch that's ready to go, uh, and it's and I gave him the pitch for Not All Robots, and I think he was sold the moment I said robots. 
Yeah, we'll do it. Sold on robots. Let's do that. Yeah. So, uh, but, but yeah, it was Axel contacted me and I really like working with them a lot. It really is, I think in a lot of ways, sort of, um, the best of both worlds, uh, because you get like a page rate, like you would from like a big two publisher. Uh, so that's nice. You get the stability, but at the same time, you, you retain a lot of ownership over your own project. So you also get a lot of the benefits doing like a, a, a creator owned label. So I really, I really like it. Plus, you know, they, they give you a lot of freedom to tell the story you want to tell. So there's, there's no, I didn't, there, I had no downside working with them. Were you affected at all by all the school shootings um, when you were and the, the issues of gun violence when you were doing not all robots? Uh, well, it's, you know, it's been a ubiquitous issue in, in, you know, the United States for a long time. So I was I was aware of it. But, you know, a part of me was just more reacting to all of the uh, uh, the, 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 the violence uh, by the establishment itself, the violence by, um, you know, police and uh, the government against its own citizens. And that's kind of more what I was reacting to in uh, Not All Robots. So that's why all their excuses are about like, well, you know, these people were, you know, I'm sure they had issues. I'm sure they weren't completely innocent. So we shouldn't worry too much about the fact that they all died. And, you know, it's like something like the the um, the Flint water crisis. I would count among that where it's like, well, we just sort of destroyed a whole city. But come on. It's like, you know, we saved some money doing it. Yeah. How long can this possibly stay in the news cycle? Let's just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we just waited out. People will will move on to the next thing. That's the other thing too. It's like the the uh, Omni um, Robotics, the company that's sort of responsible for for making the robots that caused the uh, the disaster. Just kind of think, well, you know, it's like their their only solution is to sell more products. Sort of like our solution to gun violence is just to sell more sell guns. guns. Well, if sure, I mean, people are getting blown away by these these guns. But if we uh, sell even more of them, then maybe you, you will shoot. Get them first. You know, that's sort the of the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Yeah, that's sort of the philosophy of, of Omni Robotics. That like, well, if robots are causing these problems, what we just need are, are better, newer robots, and that's when they come out with the mandroids. Right, because the yeah, I was gonna say it reminded me of gun violence because, like, like you said, people are scared that the robots are killing them. So let's make a, let's make them easier to look at. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Part of I, it is I, how how you know the institutions have sort of like come up with uh, cosmetic ways to like cover over the, the the real pain that's going on. It's like, well, you know, we're we're not going to uh, do anything to stop gun violence, but we'll tell people that they're in our thoughts and prayers, or you know, we'll we'll feign sensitivity to your pain. Uh, even though we will do nothing as a country or as institutions to stop it from happening again. Or we'll just put police officers in every school. Yeah. yeah. Or veterans yeah. in every school. Yeah. Or, or looking at you for thinking you're dealing with the problem. Yeah. Stock prices yeah, on gun like stocks go up every time there's a school shooting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mandroids for me are sort of the veneer of civility that's sort of been painted over masculinity in America and so yeah, we, I think that's yeah. a lot of it too. That like you know, it, it, it's like the um, you know all of the stuff that we were saying and doing, you know, before 
is still there. It's just hidden now by this sort of uh, forced veneer of uh, sensitivity. And that's kind of what they represent, sort of how the, the sensitivity of our civilization or that, that we see as progress over the last 20, 30 years is really just sort of uh, learning how to, how to code what is still a very sort of uh, sexist and abusive system. A uh, sort of social camouflage. Yeah, right. Way of sort of make you know the sort of corporate speak around you know inclusivity and uh, sensitivity to um, people's problems while they are you know using unpaid consultants to help them form the policy and and you know you you are now an independent contractor so if we let you go you have no you 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 have got no rights you've got no um, benefits and also we had you sign this NDA. Uh, where you agreed to go to like forced arbitration. So even though the, the language, uh, the corporate language has changed to make, make it seem much more and sensitive, it's really the corporate reality is that you're even more exposed to abuse than you ever were. They listed it as, and this is my only my only Piccadilly on the cover of the book, not, not nothing with your writing or the, or the content. They They phrased it as shockingly relevant satire and that phrase really kind of bit me in the ass and I was like if it was irrelevant is it still satire <laughs> yeah that's a good point it really only counts as satire I think if it's relevant because otherwise you know if I was writing the, the, the Guelph in you know Venice in the 14th century it's like what, what would that be it's like oh those Guelphs had it coming they totally had it coming the Ghibellines. Oh, I'm getting started on the Ghibellines. <laughs> All those damn Ghibellines. <laughs> uh, is there going to be a third coming of Second Coming? Yeah, yeah. Most of what I'm doing now are sort of like uh, additional seasons of stuff I've already done. But yeah, that's another one that's about halfway. I'm about halfway done writing the third season of Second Coming. And this one is mostly about um, uh, Sunstar and Sheila had a, a child. Right. Uh, at the end of the second one, and it's mostly about them having to deal with the child that has superpowers, like a baby and a toddler who has like uh, potentially planet destroying superpowers, and also reminding Jesus of like the time when he was a child and you know and he had basically superpowers and you know how you sort of like growing up sort of like a sort of the realization that you're kind of an asshole. Are they going to make Jesus the Godfather? No, no, don't don't tell me. I, I want to be surprised. It writes itself. <laughs> As a weird former Catholic, are you going to do a flashback where Jesus makes the cherry trees bend to Mary so she can pick them as part of his... Similar things. I'm, I'm borrowing from the, the infancy gospels, the non-canonical infancy gospels, where there's a story where... Um, they were playing on the roof because back then people spent a lot of times on the rooftops on the houses and Jesus pushes one of his playmates off and kills the kid. And then he realizes he's in deep trouble because the kid's parents come looking for their, and he realizing he's in trouble. He brings the kid back to life and, and sort of like scares him into not telling on him. And, <laughs> Listen, Lazarus, the Lord giveth, the Lord can take it away. Yeah. Do you get what I'm yeah. cooking? <laughs> Remember what I can do. So uh, say it, the Lord. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah. But the infancy gospels are really kind of like, I think, like um, a really sort of profound meditation that you don't, you aren't just sort of like born perfect. You aren't just sort of born this Messiah. It's something you have to learn. And it's something that you learn by 
by meeting people where they live and not thinking of them as sort of um, accessories to your power. just so grateful and glad that you have that breadth of knowledge. As a guy who grew up Catholic and knows what you're talking about here, I'm thinking, man, you have done your research. There is nothing I can ask you that I don't think you have a go-to for. Well, it's you know, it helps to write about the things you're obsessed with, because then yeah. it's like you tend to be knowledgeable about them. Yeah, the, the, the when uh, Jesus was in the womb and made the cherry trees bend, I thought that was a pretty good you know, gotcha, but I thought you would get that one but you even got the image that's just a great breadth of knowledge the infancy gospels are actually kind of cool stories there's one where he uh, you know a snake bites his brother james and he like makes the snake explode yeah i remember that one that was a, and uh like people are like you know why should you have this, this? yeah I, I remember that whole story that was great good stuff not exactly canonical but you know who's to say what's canonical yeah the the the, the, the canon was decided by 50 bishops living, you know, uh, 1,700 years ago. So I, I, I think that, you know, take it, take it for what it's worth. Uh, yeah. 50 dudes basically decide what was going to be in the Bible. By the way, they made, when they were, they, uh, were deciding what was going to be the canonical Bible, they had every one of the bishops, uh, like, make three lists. Like, one list was, like, definitely canonical, definitely in the Bible. And uh, one list was like a uh, little, little questionable, a little heavy. And then the third list was like absolutely not batshit crazy. Um, That's the craziest one... Reddit list ever. Oh, yeah, no, what? it's brackets. It's like the Sweet yeah, 16. Yeah. They had tranches. Um, but one in. book from the, that, that made it onto anybody's uh, batshit crazy list actually made it into the Bible. Do you know which one it was? I'm going to guess Revelations. I was going to say Revelation. Book of, of Revelation was on like some of the the, the, the batshit crazy lists, but it still got into the Bible because they they thought, well, one, it's it's a really good ending point because it ends really with the ending of the world. So it ends, well, we need to wrap this thing up. Guys. We need to wrap this up somewhere. The Book of Jude, but also yeah. because you know they just dealt with the Arminian heresy, and so they thought, you know, well, this 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 book about like how the false prophets will, will burn in hell and, you know, uh, they'll share in Satan's punishment is the good way to end the Bible because it's going to like dissuade anybody from coming along later and trying to change it or trying to add more to it because then they will be like the false prophets described in the book of Revelation. And like 23 of them were playing Marvel face rip and they didn't know how to stat snake explosions, so that didn't make it in. <laughs> The problem is that nobody thinks of themselves as a false prophet. You know, everyone thinks the, the, the everyone who disagrees with them is the false prophet. Are you listening, Trump? <laughs> I assure you, he's not. I assure you, I sure. L seven and Trump, two people, two groups that are not listening to us right now. But you know, he really should get a user unfriendly T shirt. Well, absolutely, hundred percent, Absolutely. Uh, Mark Russell, it's been an absolute super pleasure to have you on. We've had you now for almost 45 minutes. Does anyone have any last questions for Mark Russell? Because I'm sure he's busy and has a lot of stuff else to do. Final question. Come on, Josh. I know you got at least one final question, didn't you? Final questions? Final. I, I don't like the phrase final questions for Mark Russell <laughs> because there's there's always more. 
for this particular. He's our best friend now. He's part of the podcast. He's the illegitimate fifth guy. Don't worry, we'll have him back. Mark Rose, <laughs> anything else you want to leave us with before you have to go back to get some actual work done? Uh, I just want to say thank you for having me on. And also, if you haven't already, uh, please give Superman Space Age a shot. I'm really happy with it, and I think Mike's artwork will blow you away. <laughs> uh, young Clark Kent in a uh, in his uh, um, uh, overalls, overalls with no shirt on, uh, watching TV with his dad was awesome. I don't know why, little... but that that was just I, that was just really good art. Yeah, no, he like does I looked at that, and I'm like that is subtle emotions that really yeah. well. Like, I really felt like that's what he probably was wearing. That was probably the... Like, I really felt drawn into that picture. The dude was dressed for corn. Yeah, he was. He was dressed for working on a goddamn farm. I did a con in Kansas not too long ago, and I heard more than one person. It's like, that always bothers me that he's a, they have a cornfield. It's like, people don't grow corn in Kansas. That's Nebraska. We grow wheat huh. here. Fair. No, so you tell it's, it's foul. the two Jews from Cleveland didn't know what they grew in Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, I'm, sure I'm sure it's not a, a corn-free state. <laughs> That's a good one. We grow corn here in Massachusetts. You can grow corn as a yeah. guy who grows a little bit. You can grow corn on a bowling ball if you fucking put your mind to it. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Corn is what bad farmers plant. Corn and potatoes. I got on the Lower East Side. <laughs> I got potatoes growing in my backyard right now because of this. All right, Mark Russell, been an absolute delight, uh, and thank you so much for being on. All right, thanks for having me. As always, gotcha. thank you, Mark. And we'll have you All back right. again as many times as you'll acquiesce. For fuck's sake, we love you. Next time oh, you come to Boston, let us know. We'll buy you some scotch. Okay. We'll take you to dinner. That's a deal. Uh, yeah. next, probably next year then. Oh, and awesome. I, I got like three places in Chinatown. I'm dying to take you. Oh, my God. I went to Crave in Chinatown because uh, they had their special fry, chicken frying technique. Oh. Heard it's amazing. It it's is, like some of the best chicken I've ever had. Uh, there's one place better, actually. It's uh, oh, yeah. New Tokyo Deli, which I'm taking LT to, yep. which is the best Chinese barbecue in Boston. And it is like dead animals in the window heaven. <laughs> you don't get to bring your wife there a lot. Lady will not go with me. She's a no. vegan. <laughs> and the Eldo Cake House has amazing sweets, too. Ooh, absolutely. All right, Mark Russell, everybody. Right. Give it up. Pause. Hey. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Mark. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Well, he was a delight. We got to have him on a million times. It's all true. It's all true. Uh, do you want to do a front of the long box now, Mikey? You got a front of the long box for us? Yeah, I got at the front of the long box. I have the uh, Superman, Son of Kal El. I, I kind of figured we'd have a good Superman one. Yeah, it's the uh, the Jonathan Kent has taken over as Superman, and it is his story. I I got to give Josh the credit for it because LT had actually talked about it at, at Pensacon and. Uh, Josh asked me if I was reading it because he said it was really good. So I was like, oh, let me start reading it. And it is. It's it's phenomenal. It's The writing is crisp. I I enjoy it. Yeah, I've been reading it. I picked up um, – I was just rolling through our comic shop, and I was like, you know what? I just need something to read. 
and I just read Space Age, and I was like, oh, this sort of ramped me up. I'd like to see something new about Superman. So they just had a, um, a prepackage with uh, Son of Kala on their 1 through 15, so I just grabbed that, read the whole thing, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I like that Jonathan is different than Clark. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's younger. He's got a different perspective than Clark. Um, so I think Tom Taylor does a good job of, you know, the father-son dynamic in the the book by, you know, whenever Kal-El is talking to Jonathan, um, you know, he Jonathan's not afraid to ask difficult questions of his dad, and his dad isn't afraid to explain why he does what he does. And there's no right or wrong to either of their approaches. Yeah. Nice. I yeah. like that. I like, I like a little uh, nuance. Tell me, what do you have a bag in the one box? I have the silver coin by Chip Zdarsky and Kelly Thompson and Ed Brisson. Uh, it was a good sort of horror book, uh, all based around one silver coin that... Basically, when people got it in their possession, amazing things would happen to them, and those amazing things always ended up turning bad in the end. Were, uh, were these the silver coins that Judas Iscariot had, or did they not no, go into it that? A, it was one particular coin. It was the same coin. It wasn't different silver coins. It was just one silver coin. And uh, it starts out, it was like an anthology series. It starts out, the first story starts out with um, this guy in a band gets it. Uh, he found it in some of his mom's things. His mom had passed on. And, uh, you know, his dad was like, oh, where'd that come from? That was your mom's lucky coin. And he finds it, and he starts playing guitar with it, using it as a pick, and uh, starts feeling like everything's a bit more animated in his guitar playing. His band takes off, and he starts being a jerk to everybody. And things turn out badly from there. So it's kind of like a monkey paw? It's kind of like a monkey paw. Things start out good, and then they quickly turn bad. And it's just an anthology series surrounding this one silver coin. Uh, and it was just, it was very good. If you like horror, this is a, a good little anthology sort of tale to to pick up. And Chip Zdarsky wrote all of them, or just one of the no, stories? No, he just uh, he wrote a couple of them in there. Okay. So, did you guys see a movie called Buffalo Nickel? No. It's a no. little bit like this, actually. It's uh, the same exact kind of thing. It's a horror anthology around this this Buffalo Nickel huh. that people are thinking is super expensive, but it actually is a nickel. Just a Buffalo Nickel. Yeah. I mean, it's worth like eight bucks. But people keep exaggerating what they think the price is worth, and they do more and more horrific things to get at it. Kind of reminded me of it. That's all. Yeah. But that's a little tangential. Josh, do you have a tangent for us? Uh, yeah. Oh, you look like for a second. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of the first times you, you ever caught like, me. No? Uh, so I well, earlier I mentioned I was drinking a fall beer, and it is only August fifteenth. But fall is fast approaching. What's our favorite things about fall? I, I, cider donuts. Yeah, cider donuts. That's it. That's the only answer. Everyone else, I think we need to stop there. I'm following 
LT and his wife into a corn maze. I was going to say, I love my favorite thing. About I love going apple picking with us as a group. That's just yeah, fun. fun. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. But yeah, it, it, yeah. it really is ridiculous. But we went like uh, for those not know. Last year we went into this uh, small corn maze. And it was great. We were out in like eight minutes. And then Eileen, LT's wife, goes, hey, let's go to the big corn maze. And my wife was like, no. <laughs> no. 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 We've all and learned. We've all learned from that experience. Everyone to the big corn maze. We all learned that my privation. wife can go in the big corn maze by herself. And we can all eat cider donuts until <laughs> yeah, she gets right. out. <laughs> Me and my wife ate cider donuts an hour and a half waiting for you to get out. And you didn't. And if and if I'm in a coma by the time she gets out, then she will have learned her lesson, right? If someone wins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's so much to love about fall. I love pumpkin um, Reese's peanut butter cups. Okay. Like I know there are a million Reese's peanut butter cups. I know Reese's peanut butter cups are just Reese's peanut butter cups. But the pumpkin, the chocolate to peanut butter ratio is best. No, no. The pumpkin. Uh, me, I, I'm going to blow your mind. It's pretty good, too. Now, I'm going to blow your mind, man. You ready for this? Okay. Hostess cupcakes, the pumpkin ones, are a fucking heaven. I'll give it a shot. You know what? I, I, I don't like to poo-poo anyone. i give it a shot. They, they, it's a I limited love. run, and I, we've written to Hostess saying, why do you make it as a limited run? This should be available all year round. Damn you. It's, it's not like you can't freeze a fucking pumpkin. As soon as we see them, uh, I buy as many boxes as I can to store them up. As a guy who runs a food bank, I assure you, there is no limit. Or <laughs> there's a lot of pumpkin puree out there because I get a lot of that shit in August. <laughs> All right, stop bringing the pumpkin puree to the food bank, guys. We <laughs> we're good. We're fine. I'm going to drop that, dump that shit off every week now. Ugh. Speaking of the food bank, I don't know if everybody's aware, but we have a Patreon-only podcast called The Geek Leak, which uh, we do almost every week uh, that we do a podcast. And for a mere $1 a month, you can become our Patreon and get The Geek Leak. But more importantly, all the money we get goes to the Lizzie Body House to Tom's food bank that he runs. Well, it's a food bank that I run, but it's more important a food bank that we all run because we all chip into it. Uh, you guys have been, uh, you know, bagging that food bank since you know we first opened that son of a bitch up, and uh, we feed about ninety families a week now. It kind of goes up and down a little bit, and uh, it's a terrific place to go. And um, I just unloaded three thousand pounds of food today at the Greater Boston Food Bank, and and boy, is, are my arms tired. <laughs> That is my once every two weeks super CrossFit workout, and uh, I, I think it's keeping me young and healthy. And, and I help out every year at the Thanksgiving turkey giveaway. He does. Every single year I got LT handing out turkeys with me, and that is no small feat. How many turkeys did we give away last year? Do you remember? Oh, it was a lot. Was two, a I, I believe it was two around the 240 to 250 mark. It was a lot of turkeys. It was a lot of turkeys. A lot of turkeys. <laughs> I uh, actually thought I gave myself a hernia that year. <laughs> Turned out to be something else, but boy, it hurt. <laughs> it hurts like a hernia. Hurts like a hernia. Feels like uh, abdominal dissertation. Dissertation. Yeah. yeah. True. Right. Yeah. 
Why not? Sure. All right, as long as we're on the same subject, I got my three to eighteen corn maze. Three to eighteen. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give the small one a solid fifteen to sixteen because I like them. The big ones. I'm gonna give like a fourteen. I don't like them that much. Thirteen. I. Yeah, I didn't like the one that we went into and we got lost because it it crossed over each other and you can't just hold on to one of the walls and find your way out. Well, that's a real corn right. maze, man. Come on. Now. The old maze rule does not apply. It's a real corn maze. I assure you, those bridges are not made of corn. <laughs> Fair. Clap, 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 clap. Yes, you're right. I'm gonna give it a five. <laughs> <laughs> Saturdays get the 18s, corn maze gets a 5. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Josh, what you got there, buddy? Uh, I'm going to take, so I, I say it's dependent on whom I enter the corn maze with. And we'll just say if we if we all cumulatively took our, <laughs> converted ourselves into our D&D stats and took the average, if I'm with those people, that's the level I enjoy the corn maze. <laughs> <laughs> It's a sliding scale, so I'm going to just give it a 10. Sliding scale. I give it a 10. Let me say this. The only time I ever had a lot of fun in a corn maze, uh, it was in uh, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. I brought my little brother, Buddy, into a corn maze, and it was the haunted corn maze. And I knew, like, um, I was friends with the guy who owned the corn maze, so I knew everybody in the corn maze worked at Central Barbecue for me. So they really gave Buddy the business. And they just terrified that kid for, for 45 minutes to an hour and a half. It was awesome. In college, we did what, one of the big ones, and we went in at, I think it was five-minute intervals, the four teams from our college that went, and we all had cardboard periscopes. <laughs> That's awesome. Which was That's really awesome. fun. Yeah. Did they have bridges in that one? They did have bridges in that one. Well, the cardboard telescopes kind of helps, but not that much. No, it's just funny seeing everybody else sort of bob around yeah. the maze and know where everybody is, yeah. It's By the way, did you see the Gaboon thing, thing I sent you? I did, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's my 3D18. I guess that brings us over to plugs. Who's got a plug? I'd like to plug LT as the amazing gifted giver. This guy, I thought I had the awesome present for Andy's two little boys, Oliver and Zachary. I got them railroad sets with little railroad hats, and they looked adorable, and they loved playing with it. But LT's present fucking blew mine out of the water. What, what'd you give him, LT? Come on. So I got him a Spider-Man car that also fires little Hot Wheels out of it when you press down on the bin of the Spider-Man car. It was like a car, it was a car that big. shot cars. It's a car that shot out cars. <laughs> None of that makes any sense to me. Carception. <laughs> so, so it was like a, I don't know, like a 20-inch plastic car, Spider-Man car. And you got one present for the two boys. No, no. They... I bought them each, each. a Spider-Man car. Good. Because I was told you need to buy them the exact same thing. I warned Josh about that because he, yeah, he goes, hey, are you going to, LT, uh, to uh, Andy's party? I'm like, I don't have any kids, man. I feel weird going to a kid's party. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's his kid's party. I didn't, I didn't know it was a kid's party. 
And I, in my defense, I got them the exact same thing. Absolutely fucking nothing. <laughs> I think we'll be better prepared next year. You know, in four years, they're not going to remember who got them that Spider-Man car. Of course, no. No. no I'll, I'll just convince them it was me anyway. Whatever. Yeah, 10, 20 years from now when they're graduating from you know law school, and you're yeah. going to be like, Remember that Spider-Man car I bought you when you were a kid? I'm like, oh, yeah. you're the one who did that. That was awesome. And LT yeah. will be long dead. <laughs> long dead. <laughs> we like to make it four. <laughs> don't play this. Don't play this podcast for like four years. <laughs> that was the saddest podcast ever. In memoriam. In memoriam, <laughs> LT. Uh... Or you know. <laughs> and that'll be just the end. Of, uh, wait, do we have any other things coming up? Uh, great stories, comics and games. They're in Whitensville, Massachusetts. Go to them. They're great. Geekorthodox.com. Hello, Timmy. And that's me. Geekorthodox.com. Bears of fine stained glass prints. And IanLino.com. For all your t-shirt needs. And let's not forget about KirbyCrackle.com or KirbyCrackleMusic.com. They provide our geek rock music every week. You can so go check them out. But, Mike, yeah. I didn't hear any music at the beginning of this YouTube video. What? That's a great comment, Tom. And the reason you don't hear the music on YouTube is because I'm a lazy producer, and I know how to produce a podcast, but not a video. <laughs> So I'm, I'm going to do the video at some point. I'll do the video with Kirby Crack. I'll, I'll make it happen. Okay. Just it's fine with me. It's all yours, I man. Take that, I take that on. All right. I guess that'll bring us to the end of the podcast. Mike, what is this podcast like to you? It's like drunk history, but for comics. LT, LT, my beautiful friend. Any last words of uh, wisdom? Get your shot. COVID's still out there. It's still Get there. Your, dude, did you hear what's happening in New York? Monkeypox. Polio, asshole. Polio. Setting up polio we almost stations. had that fucker licked. I know. But according to a friend of mine, they're going to be giving out polio vaccines very, very shortly in New York. Right. Now I got to get a shot. damn it. Josh. New York, polio. Is that your sector? Uh, no, actually, it'll be Epic Nerd Camp in Darlington, Maryland next week. That's my sector. That's right. Did you get someone to watch your dogs for tomorrow? Uh, I just need someone to stop it. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'll find someone. We'll figure something out. All right. I love you guys. I'll see you next week on the podcast. And don't forget what I always say. Don't do what you hate. Try to promote what you love. You'll live longer. Trust me. I'm an old. Bye-bye. 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 On the road, we're going home to the place.